Hi, I'm Helen and this is Why Mums Don't Jump. Busting taboos about leaks and lumps after childbirth. All the stuff that happens to your pelvic floor that no one ever talks about. Incontinence, prolapse, pelvic pain. Problems that affect millions of women. One in three. I'm one of them. I have a prolapse. My pelvic organs fell out of place after the birth of my second child five years ago. And if you'd told me then I'd be speaking about this stuff out loud, I would have told you to give your head a wobble. Welcome to episode two. I want to say thank you so much for an amazing response to the first episode last week. It's been, honestly, it's been quite overwhelming. Obviously, going public with tales of a broken vagina, for one, uh, but mainly just how much that's meant to people. I know there have been a few tears, but hopefully in a good way. Uh, I've read every message and I hear you and I'm really glad we found each other. As you know, I'm not an expert. I definitely don't have all the answers. I do not have it all figured out, but hopefully hearing other women's stories as well as from experts will help us all along the way. So this episode is something like a crash course in pelvic floor dysfunction with someone who does know much more about it than I do because I don't know about you but when I was pregnant I knew very little about any of it. I knew the jokes about leaking when you sneeze or laugh but I think I just thought that if I ever had any problems like that then I could just do a few pelvic floor squeezes and it would all go away and I didn't have any problems after my first child was born, so it all came as a massive shock second time around. And then when it did happen, after my son was born, I really struggled to find any sensible information, what was happening, why it was happening, the long-term implications. I fell into a bit of an online rabbit hole, which just left me feeling confused and sometimes a bit sad, sometimes a bit scared. So I thought it might be useful to run through some of the more common problems and what help might be available. I just think if something like this was available at the time for me, uh, I think I would have learned a lot. I did learn a lot, in fact, by speaking to Katie Sirrett, who is a women's health physio based in Manchester, here in the UK. In fact, she is my women's health physio. She's lovely, she's funny, and uh, she knows what she's on about. And before all this COVID business happened, uh, she very kindly agreed to come over for a chat. Hi, Hi. thank you so much for doing this. It's a pleasure. Um, I was thinking about like how we should start, and uh, I thought we could start when we met. So a couple, a couple of months ago, yeah. I came into your office Yes. about my prolapse. <laughs> I spent most of the appointment bawling my eyes out, if I remember rightly. Which is very common. <laughs> is it? Is it? Yes, very. Is it? Oh, good. Yeah. I did feel a bit foolish, but I was just so... Um, I was like, it was happy tears, because I was just so... You just, you gave me hope that I just hadn't really felt for a really long time, that yeah. I could make some progress and yes I think it's an emotional area it's an emotional area to talk to anyone about Massively. you know whether it's a new diagnosis or an old one that you're still on a bit of a journey with um so I think yeah I do get quite a lot of tears but hopefully normally 
some happy ones happy as well. Tears. It was. It was total happy. I, could, I was sitting there going, I was, couldn't really speak, but I was trying to get out. Happy tears. Happy tears. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, until I had to see... Do we say a women's physio, or a pelvic physio? How do you refer um, to it? So I tend to describe myself as a women's health physio, partly because right. there are lots of physios who do um, pelvic health stuff who also treat men, which isn't something that I've got into. Yeah. So I always want to make that distinction, partly because I just don't have that those skills, really. And I would refer, if a man approached me, I would refer them on to someone who definitely does have those skills. So until... I until I had my prolapse and I needed to see one I'd never even I never even knew that was a thing no so how how did you get so it's it? and again it's really it is quite a niche part of physio in that it's not really part of the basic training the three-year degree course doesn't particularly cover it you don't do it as a standard sort of placement during your three-year degree course you could do it if you chose to but it would be quite unusual so I became a physio I just wanted to work in sport and massage you know ideally some rugby players or footballers Lovely, legs yeah. <laughs> um and then did that for a while um and then just got a bit bored with it and kind of moved away from sport and then started to have make have my own family and suddenly went oh this, everything feels a bit different than it did before. I'm suddenly really interested in how the, this area works. So that was the beginning of me wanting to learn more about women's health physio. So that was, we always have to do lots of professional development as a physio. And I just took my professional development more down that route. For, for me, when I, when I found out about the prolapse, never heard of it before. And a lot of the women I talk to now are in the same boat, yeah. Googling things, but never, we didn't even have the language for. No. Um, and... One of the things I really wanted to do is try and get some good information out there because I just found it really hard to find out yes. any of the things that might be happening, what it meant, whether it could be fixed. So perhaps we could just talk a bit about the common things that people come and see you Yeah, for. so I see, I suppose a lot of the first line is probably if people have symptoms. So maybe that's some bladder or bowel incontinence. They sort of suddenly, you know, it's the classic incontinences you know cough or sneeze or laugh or jump or whatever or there's the urgency where you suddenly need the toilet and you can't really hang on and that's just almost like the pelvic floor just hasn't got that endurance and just goes I can't hold on anymore um so those are the first I suppose most common things that people go oh I can't do this and hopefully someone suggests that they come and see a women's health physio I would also say maybe the symptoms of a prolapse of that feeling of heaviness or the discomfort sometimes it can be discomfort and pain alongside that so people might come and see see me and then and then pain itself so sometimes that tips over into overactivity in the pelvic floor and some more kind of chronic persistent bladder pain and then those and then I do see women with pregnancy related pain um and issues and some pelvic floor problems um and then I think I see diff women at different times in their lives as well so again the classic is you've just had a baby you know you've had a vaginal birth and things haven't perhaps gone according to plan or there's you know women who are much younger perhaps before they've had children and when they're doing often these are women who are quite fit and they're getting some leaking when they're running or lifting weights and that type of stuff. And then I'm getting another group of women who are coming through possibly during and after the menopause when they've had a big hormonal change mm. and that can change the pelvic floor issues all over again. So they've maybe had something from having children, which they've managed 
maybe not done anything about, but it's never been that bad. They've just popped a tenor lady on if they run, if they think that that's enough. And then going through the menopause has changed things again quite often. Okay, that's really helpful to kind of get the overview because it is lots of different things. Yes. And sometimes I guess you can have more than one thing together, Definitely. can't you? Definitely, yeah. Because I know a lot of people who have prolapse have incontinence and for some reason, or maybe you can suggest a reason, but I don't even know what, I, I just I just don't really. No. Things aren't perfect, but I just don't. No, and it's not, it doesn't always come with symptoms and that's, you know, sometimes when, when, the, when you read statistics about how many women have prolapses and blah, 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 you often wonder, are there women who have prolapses who because they haven't got any symptoms as such, and maybe they think, oh, well, I've had a baby, of course it feels different. They haven't actually ever had it sort of officially Mm. diagnosed by anybody. So, yeah, I mean, some of it is just a bit of luck, partly of where the prolapse has gone. And there can be women who come in with those pelvic floor issues, incontinence and that sort of those symptoms who actually haven't got a prolapse, but they've just got some weakness there or some dysfunction. I suppose one thing we perhaps should do I didn't know what a prolapse was, and yet now I just bandy it around as if everybody else does. Maybe, so shall I tell you my understanding? Yeah. You can tell if I'm right. Okay. <laughs> so, not a physio or a doctor, but um, the pelvic floor is kind of like this hammock of very clever, very important muscles. And yep. one of the things that it does is help to support your pelvic organs, your yep. bladder, your bowel, and your uterus, your womb. Yeah. And uh, if the pelvic floor gets uh, weakened by through pregnancy or, or childbirth or, as you said, high-impact exercise or yeah. various things, but I guess often pregnancy. Um, Most commonly. It can't, it can't support necessarily those organs as well anymore. Yeah. And they all sort of fall down into the vagina. Yeah. I mean, there's loads... Nowadays online, there are some nice kind of graphics. Yeah. I mean, you don't... I do often say to patients don't Google image them because sometimes some of the images can be quite scary. First thing I did, <laughs> scarred for life. But I quite like some of the the sort of more graphic, when I say graphic, I mean sort of almost like pictures where you can, they sort of describe this yeah. kind of hammock. The other thing that can happen is it's not just always a weakness within the pelvic floor. It can actually be sort of a structural change. So the pelvic floor is almost like the material of the hammock and then you have got these sort of straps and they can also well they can weaken but they can stretch and they can tear that which was is, the thing that yeah. I did not understand for a really long time because I thought I understood my pelvic floor is weak that's where things have fallen yeah. down get my pelvic floor strong again they'll all go back up yeah but they don't, and that's probably yeah. because things Some of it will that be have attached from above have stretched yeah. and that can't yeah. unstretch. And that doesn't mean, well, if they've gone, that's it, then you're on the short road to surgery and that sort of thing. There is still stuff you can do to support that area around. There are probably loads of ligaments in your body that are stretched, you know, different. But structurally, you can't really change that. Yeah. You know, with, even with all the pelvic floor exercises in the world, really. And. I have no idea why why someone would then have incontinence. So, or as well as, or in, yeah. or instead of like, why does why does that happen? So basically, what the pelvic floor does is it's sort of loops of muscle that almost not this isn't exactly sort of anatomically correct, but they sort of come from the back and they loop round in a woman the three exit points. So. When you contract your pelvic floor, that basically sort of kinks the pipe. So it stops either the flow of urine right. or it stops the, you know, something coming out of your bowel passage. 
when you don't want it to, if it's not an appropriate time or whatever. <laughs> so on the whole, well, this isn't always necessarily true, I suppose, but if if it's weaker, you're not able to kink the pipe yeah. as efficiently at the times when you want to. So if it's not as strong as it should be, then that's why you'll get most of those sort of inconsonant symptoms. Or if you have got that structural deficit from the ligaments, then it will drop down and in and therefore you won't be able to control right. even with this even if it gets stronger, you still have that that weakness as you're trying to kink those pipes almost because of the position that that pelvic floor is then sitting in. And then and the pelvic pain stuff that that's the pelvic because... pain, I mean it can come from a number of things. Um I most commonly in women I see who've got really long-term sort of persistent pain, they've got overactivity in the pelvic floor and the pelvic floor is it's incredibly intuitive and often what's happened with the pelvic pain is sometimes it can come from maybe a birth trauma or lots of recurrent urine infections is often one of the things that um, can preempt that and start that sometimes even to do with some anxiety or some you know and then there is a it can be a bit of a link between other sort of more chronic conditions like fibromyalgia and that type of stuff as well. But often what's happening then is the pelvic floor is just almost constant. Imagine it's almost constantly on and really no muscle should be on all the time. If you flexed your bicep yeah. for, I mean, more than a couple of minutes, you'd start to go, actually, that hurts quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then you would, you would let it go. No muscle is designed to be on all the time, but then it becomes a pattern. Because as you, what happens then, it gets fatigued. So then it can't kink the pipe anymore. So you'll get leakage because the pelvic floor is exhausted. It's not mm. available when you need right. it because it's got too, it's too tight. Um, and then it becomes a cycle of the anxiety around that, tightens that pelvic floor even more, which, so it becomes often, you know, and as I say, it's very commonly treating that is quite a bit more complicated than you know oh here's a few nice little pelvic floor exercises and a bit of glute work and you know off you go you'll be fine it's often looking a bit more deeply about well where is that pain what are those triggers for that pain as well and trying to work through some of those mm-hmm. as things mm-hmm. with women which <laughs> brings me on to our next question about how fixable it is because that so Google image, what is it? Next one, can it be fixed? Yeah. Can it be healed? I would say for most women I see, you can help their symptoms and mean that they can find some way of having the lifestyle that they want. And even if that isn't a fix forever and at some stage you need to escalate things and have some conversations with surgeons and all that sort of stuff. I think you always want to feel that you've made that the last resort. But I would, yeah, I would be disappointed if you couldn't make some kind of change to the, what's going on for them symptom-wise and discomfort-wise. And it, it just, it seems like you need such a bespoke fix for everyone, doesn't yeah. it? And that, that again is something that just makes me really cross because the advice, the official advice is so black and white. Yeah. And certainly around prolapse that was, you know, don't run, don't lift. Things that you just are doing anyway because you've got a baby, lifting a baby yeah. in, a, in, a, in a car well, seat. The car seats which are heavy. I mean, your pram's heavy if you're moving into the boot. And that's one of the things that I do find really frustrating when I see women. I get quite a lot of women um, in my private work where 
they've been to see the GP, they've just literally just had a baby, they can feel that things aren't right, maybe it's a six-week check, maybe it's another appointment, and the GP is often just sort of thrown out, oh, well, yeah, it looks like you've got a prolapse. Yeah, just don't lift anything too heavy. Yeah. And it's just these poor women, and often then they will have raised a referral through to the, the NHS visit, which is great, but often there's a bit of a time waiting situation with that. Not always, but sometimes. So they come and often seek me out in a bit of a panic to go, <gasps> Well, what does that not lifting mean? Does that mm. mean I can't lift my toddler? Does it mean I can't lift my shopping? Does it mean I can't, you know, and it, it's, it's almost impossible not to lift as a human being when you it have is. young people in your life or really even at any other time. So I often think then with those women, I feel like a lot of my job is, I mean, hopefully reassuring them that probably their insides aren't just going to fall out immediately as soon as they lift the car seat once, but also giving them some strategies of how to do those things because they are going to have to do those things. So there really is no point just saying don't lift because you're not really being realistic about what that woman's lifestyle is like. So actually it's better to then give them some strategies about how to manage their breathing when they're lifting or how what muscles they, apart from the pelvic floor, should they be looking at their glute muscles or their abdominal muscles, trying to get the teammates of the pelvic floor working really hard as well. And then they should be able to do those normal day-to-day stuff. What you've just said there, you've reminded me as well. The other thing that, um, so it's it's been five years since um, I had my second child and, and had my prolapse. And it's only recently that I've really understood the importance of the muscles around the pelvic floor, the glutes, yeah. the thighs. I kind of knew about the core to a, to a point. Yes. And it's just that idea, isn't it, that you're kind of spreading the load, aren't you? Yeah. If you bulk up around that, then there's going to be that less pressure ramming through your yes. pelvic Yes, and floor. I say to loads of my patients, and your glutes, particularly your bum muscles, I'd like your pelvic floor's best friend. Yeah. They're doing a lot around the time when you're using your pelvic floor for during ordinary day-to-day movements. If you can get your glutes really strong, they're going to take, like you say, share that load. And actually... They are a bit more fit for it. They're much bigger. You know, they're mass- they can be massive. Which is all um, the rage. Which is all the rage. Yeah, not just by like the knickers from Primark. Um, you actually have to put some effort in. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, you know, so actually I would say that's the thing that I've definitely learned loads more about in the last few years and found really helpful. And I think, again, it gives a bit more of a focus to women to go, oh, right, right, I'm really doing something here. And for lots of women, they want to exercise. So if you're saying, well, actually, yeah, we can really do some exercise here and so, and it's going to help your pelvic floor, it's a win-win, this you know. Is, this is what, uh, this has made such a big difference to my life in the past year, just feeling able to think that I can do things again and yeah. I am actually doing things. And yes. Just mentally and physically, I feel, I feel much better. So I feel like it's kind of a story of hope in a yeah. way from people who thought that's it game over I'm kind of yeah I can do things again yeah and I think again you know like we've talked about we all we're always saying to well men and women you know keep fit exercise 30 minutes a day you know be strong get your heart rate up blah 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 and then we have this whole group of women where we go oh actually we're not sure you know and I think that's my big frustration with not with whole GPs that sounds really terrible because it isn't just that They've got a very short amount of time. It's not their area of expertise. But I do find, you know, sometimes it's these things are said quite sort of flippantly and quickly. And then 
not always followed up with a with a referral to a physio and that's always a bit disappointing yeah you, you do, you, know, do you do read those kind of horror yeah. stories of just you know we've well, had three kids what jeff's expect yes, off and pop that's it and, and sort of it's so short-sighted because yeah. you know these are often young working women they've got yeah. so much to offer to society and they've kind of been sent away to just you know a dark corner somewhere never to move <laughs> again it. so thinking that there's nothing and once you've been told that kind of information yeah. that can make people very fearful about doing things oh, and often then the fear, absolutely. that fear actually taps into some pelvic floor dysfunction like we've talked about before there is that element there of oh well things are wrong it's broken all that really negative language yeah. that's so like so detrimental to your to your mental well-being yeah. and you know how you how you view your body and you know you are different after you've had a baby you know, if we're taking that group of women particularly, it, everything isn't exactly where you left it. And but I think anything where it feels like it's broken and is just so such a a negative thing. Sometimes, as the physio, you spend quite a bit of time picking that apart and going, "It's not. It'll be well. It'll be better." You yeah, know? it can be better. Yeah. What What are your thoughts? Sorry, I'm totally like expecting you to have all the answers there, <laughs> but on prevention, it's like. I know everyone's told during pregnancy you must do your pelvic floor exercises as if that's the kind of yeah. key to everything. Can you really prevent this? I don't know. And there's a there is a bit more sort of chat about this kind of thing with, you know, should this be something that we're talking to young women about before they're even thinking about having children or um and so that they know what a pelvic floor exercise should feel like. You know, how long approximately should you be able to hold the pelvic floor for? Or also, should you be able to relax it? You know, actually, the contraction is important, but the relaxation is as important, really. So maybe there's a, you know, that's an area that would be nice to kind of have some more research in, I would I would say. You touched on, on it before. It's one of those subjects that I think a lot of us just put our fingers in our ears and say, la, 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 la. Menopause. Yeah. What does that mean for our pelvic floors, especially if they're already a bit knackered? Yeah, so partly the some of the things that happen hormonally are when you have that change in your hormones, they reckon that for women, we'll lose about 10% of our muscle power through the next sort of, for every decade then, go ongoing from that beginning of sort of perimenopause phase. Yay! I know, just another thing to add to And perimenopause, list. that's... that's- before so, yeah just the beginnings of those hormonal changes and what age is that roughly well i i, I mean mid, mid 40s mm-hmm. onwards really um i mean obviously some women can have it much earlier mm-hmm. or they can you know so so i often say to patients i mean this is very sort of you know basic but you know if you lose 10 percent of your biceps you probably don't notice but if you lose 10 percent of your pelvic floor you might suddenly have gone from being very occasionally incontinent to suddenly going oh well this is different to how it used to be and I've definitely seen that in quite a lot of women in my work maybe it's just the women that I know now because I myself am in my mid-40s um but I've definitely also seen women who haven't had children who then have had changes during that those menopausal years um, and afterwards so that's the that's the big thing and then I mean there's lots of other things that the hormonal changes that happen sometimes it's some weight gain through those changes and again that can change things 
some women get quite a lot of increased anxiety around around the menopause and some of those changes and I sometimes see that link there where things have changed for them and the pelvic floor is just another thing to kind of be affected by that really but again Yay. it's almost the most important it's almost the oh, most dear. important time to be doing exercise I would say right like and when you say exercise you mean all kinds of exercise not just pelvic floor exercise. yeah definitely yeah. you know there's loads of evidence to show that women from really like mid-30s onwards should be doing some strength stuff doesn't need to be high intensity bodybuilding weights at the gym but doing some kind of body weight or resistance strengthening some impact a bit of impact stuff is really important for your bone density so it's almost again another time when you don't want women to go well I'm wetting myself I'm gonna just cut out a whole section of exercise in what you really want them is to go I'm gonna go and see if I can do something about it and carry on and maybe even increase some of this exercise that I'm doing yeah I think and I think that's something I hope to come back to a little bit further in the series because I think there's a lot in menopause yes. and uh, the things that you might be able to do to help and the things that we don't like to think about <laughs> but it's better to be prepared isn't yes, it? Yes <laughs> I think so I think and there is a lot there's a lot of evidence about how women who know what could happen during menopause their outcomes once they'd gone through the menopause was so much better because they didn't think they were going slightly insane. Yep. They did possibly go and get the right help because they thought, oh, I think this might be a sign of the menopause, rather than just kind of, say, backing away yeah. into that same dark And that feels like before. it's becoming less of a taboo as well. Definitely. So. Yeah, Hopefully. there's lots of really amazing women who are kind of shouting about it and writing brilliant books about it and articles and, you know, so I do think we're going, oh, no, actually, yeah, it's not ideal, but we're all going to go through it. Mm-hmm. So let's actually make it a better experience um yeah definitely yeah when half the population is going through something we may yeah, as well just we talk, about, as well talk about, yeah, about it yeah why not <laughs> um, uh, the other thing that i thought would be useful is I see on forums sometimes or on my instagram page people get in touch and often don't know what it involves to go and see a physio yeah uh, and uh, sometimes they're quite shocked when they have to get undressed <laughs> or half undressed yeah and i do always try and pre-warn people a little bit you know, because quite often you've had a bit of email contact kind of back and forth a little bit first. And I will sort of, you know, there'll be lots of questions and you'll probably be asked about, you know, your bladder and definitely your bowel and what's happening with those. So sometimes people are a bit like, hmm, you want to know about my poo, you know, <laughs> and obviously what your symptoms are, you know, day to day, how that's impacting on your life. Sometimes we might ask about your sex life and that sort of thing. And then we would normally ideally do an internal examination for most women it is by far the best way to find out what's actually going on it's the best way to find out what your pelvic floor is doing you know are you squeezing the right bit are you you know what's the strength like and then we can feed back about all that actually whilst you're doing it which is really really helpful I would like to think that it's not too unpleasant and scary (laughs) it's not it's not I mean you know it's never it's never like the most dignified thing to get your bottom half naked and have someone stick some fingers (laughs) up it basically (laughs) it's what it is yeah but it's um from my experience it was definitely far less uncomfortable than um a smear test which is just fine you have to get on with it yeah because there's no speculum no that's it so it Um, should be quite it should be and I would always say to women you know my kind of when we're going you know there should never be any discomfort 
for me and also I think you've always had a bit of a preamble I do feel I think as a physio that's one of the things I like most about my job is I have time so I have minimum half an hour with someone you know you become a bit more comfortable um, and there is always that opportunity to say actually I don't think I'm ready this week can we come back and have another appointment so it's yeah it's good to know that that could be something that definitely happens when you go and see the, the physio but a, it's not compulsory. Yeah, and do you have occasionally women who feel they just not they're just not comfortable at all? I've had a couple of women who've come in with really really acute persistent pain, and actually doing an internal examination would have set off all kinds of pain signals and firing, and it just wasn't appropriate for a number of sessions for us to be doing any internal stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, it is by far the best way. One of the things I've found through all of this. I started on Instagram about a year ago and even writing down some of these words, vagina, vulva, prolapse, is have found it really hard. I didn't realise how much I rely on euphemisms. Yeah. I'm kind of all right with that. How? Where do you stand on euphemisms? <laughs> I Most people use them. I probably, like, I wasn't especially brave in teaching my children the real no, words. Right. I mean, I have like, you know, pelvic floor models hanging around the house. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and I have talked to my children now as they've got older about the real words. But yeah, I did completely wimp out with my small children and let them call them all sorts of random <laughs> words. I think it's all right. I kind of think it's all right. I know. I feel very... Com- I think part of my problem is when you put the word my in front of it, yeah. it's 10 times harder. I know. I can say vagina, but I have to say my vagina. Yeah. And I'm much happier saying my bits. Yeah. Or whatever. And I think if people are more comfortable, my job is to make people feel comfortable when they're in there. And if they want to call it, all sorts of weird and wonderful words then you know I can totally get on board with that because if that makes them feel more relaxed about how they're describing their symptoms and then I don't then I mean I would god I wouldn't I would never correct anybody and go I think you'll find that's actually called the vulva um because actually you know people like you say I think maybe that just takes it down a notch or two for them and they just feel a little bit more at ease talking about these really personal things if I'm you know picking away at well how often do you do a poo and what's your sex life like I don't mean like the details but you know how does it feel and all those things if they want to yeah use different euphemisms then yeah I'm I'm quite at ease with that (laughs) and I don't you know I don't think us necessarily using more anatomical words in day-to-day parlance would change this particularly short term I think, again, I think it'd be good if, you know, girls knew where all the different bits were and that there were actually three holes and, you know, that's always a bit of a surprise for some people. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be good if we knew a bit more about the anatomy, but, yeah, maybe we can just give it whatever names we fancy. Baby steps, baby steps. Yeah, exactly. We'll <laughs> I will get braver with the anatomical stuff, I promise. But, yeah, it's all a journey, isn't it? And I, and I don't know about you, but I found that really useful it's um it's obviously not intended as medical advice so do seek out your own professional help and do keep listening because in the next episode we're going to hear Ainsley's story she's a mum to a toddler with a second baby on the way and if you've seen the kids tv program Digby Dragon you may already know her as the voice of Fizzy She's brilliant, she's down to earth, she's really honest about incontinence and prolapse. So don't forget to subscribe, tell me what you think, 
and spread the word. Tell a friend or spam a WhatsApp group. Lots of you have been posting on Instagram, which has been fantastic. Let's end the stigma. You've been listening to Why Mums Don't Jump with me, Helen Ledwick. You can find me on Instagram at Why Mums Don't Jump or online at whymumsdontjump.com where I'll put more information about the episodes. Bye for now.